This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello everyone and welcome to Who Stop Podcasts. Uh, I'm Emily and I'm here with Jacob. Hello. Owen. Hi. And Tom. Hello. I never get to say hello on these things, it's weird. <laughs> and this week uh, we've been watching Valentine's themes episodes, uh, soon as it's Valentine's Day on Sunday. And we also have a collection of spin-offs. We watched Captain Jack Harkness, The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, and night visiting. So our f- oh, I should probably say spoiler warning at the start as well. No, you shouldn't. It's completely unnecessary. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, so the first episode we saw was Captain Jack Harkness. Uh, it sees um, basically Jack and Tosh go back to 1941 and they get trapped there after looking for ghostly music. And then um, they meet their American squadron leader, which Jack is named after, who he knows is going to die the next day. Uh, meanwhile, um, Ianto and Owen and Gwen are trying to rescue them and bring them back. What do we think of this episode then? I mean, considering it's series one of Torchwood, it's very good. Mm. But that's yeah. the lowest oh. of bars. <laughs> I don't mind series one of Torchwood, to be fair. Just, um, don't uh, get me started. Other people are allowed to talk in this podcast, but I could happily go for the next like 20 minutes and go, why it's utter garbage. Given Cyberwoman and Day One, it's it's pretty good. Like I don't think it's as good as maybe some of the other ones like Countryside, but mm. like, it's just, it's a decent story and the setup to the finale is okay. Even if the finale isn't, but I'm sure we'll get onto that later. <laughs> no, I... I think I'm on the record already. I don't like Torchwood. I think the split of the team in this episode is interesting, like seeing how they work without Jack, especially so early on as well. Yeah, especially since like yeah. no one knows um, much about Jack. So it's, um, they're all looking through his stuff and trying to work out you know, who he is and everything. So if like work out how to open the rift, and it's, everything kind of falls apart with Yanto defending him and Owen trying to go a bit mad. Trying to go a bit mad is an interesting way of describing it. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's a way of, it's a way of describing it. Embodies Hesok when... Careful how you start this sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I think... No, nah, I think it's... Um, as a story, like it, it really goes to town on the characters and... Um, mm-hmm. I. It, it, um, given like the some of the previous stories where Owen um, he experiences like a, a loss of a loved one when um, what's her name has to go back through the rift. Um, Diane, for, for Diane con- Keaton. Yeah, Diane. Yeah. Um, for context, that's um, a separate story where several people from the past end up in um, present day Cardiff, uh, and Owen starts a, a relationship. Um, yeah, it uh, it is also interesting seeing Yanta grow a backbone. <laughs> I mean, he does straight up shoot Owen, so I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's too late, like, but... but like previously, he he had sort of been overlooked, and I I think this is sort of the story where you start to see him become um, part of the team. Yeah, rather just the coffee, coffee boy. 
Yeah. I think with like Gwen and Jack being like away, like not there, you really get a chance to see like the rest of the team, and that's why he gets that character development here. Yeah, well, that's what torture does. It start. You have Jack, and you know Jack is the established character. Meanwhile, Gwen is the one you go into as the person, the audience figure, discovering it for the first time. So the show's centre around those two and you've got three characters on the periphery who are neglected, which is a shame because having Gwen and lead, she's not great, but she's not in this much, so. That's a good point, actually, yeah. Like, the whole, uh, series one and, like, culture in general really focuses on Gwen and her story and this, I mean, apart from talking to, um, to like, she, I mean, she goes around and visits the hall, but she's very, she's not in it much at all. It's a nice change. Yeah, she's, she's doing a thing that, in this episode that any of the characters could have done. She's not doing things specific to her character mm. and contradictorily to how you write characters, that makes me prefer her. Yeah. So, I don't like one. I <laughs> mean, I don't really playing. know her as a character, but I wasn't complaining when she how wasn't it, really How much torture have you seen? This Grand total of one episode that I saw yesterday. We showed one last year. Yeah, I didn't see it. <laughs> we showed six last year. You showed the entire series three last year. <laughs> Fake exec. Fake exec. Uh, excuse say me, I, I think you'll find that this is a Doctor Who society. There is no <laughs> obligation to watch Torchwood. Yeah, but Torchwood's in the name. Oh, Torchwood is an anagram of Doctor Who. I bet no one told me that here. when I signed up. <laughs> He was in my AGM speech. So what do we think of the real Jack in this story then? I mean, it's a very interesting one. I think we were talking about this a bit when we did The Last One Tower and about giving companions backstory in their own shows. This is a very fascinating way to do it. Because you don't really see Jack as much of a mystery. Well, that's because Jack is for want of a better phrase, the straight man of Torchwood. He's the leader. He's basically the doctor. So that means they have to give him a mysterious backstory to really sell that analogy. But here it really does work. You get a, a lead into that past life that's only really hinted at in Empty Child and probably many, many audios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, th- I think um, certainly... From from my perspective, I think this is probably the most interesting that the backstory gets because, ironically, I can't remember any of the backstory that happens in season two. Um, so with Jack, with Jack, yeah, I can't. I mean, remember. Yeah, there's, there's also with his brother. Which was in watched it, Emily. Yeah, that's what I mean. I I literally cannot remember any of it. Yeah, this episode I do actually remember. Like, I remember John Hart, but that's inevitable. <laughs> See what what I like about the, the Jack in this episode, um, the real Jack, is that it, like between him and you know Captain Jack from Portwood, it, it normalizes the idea of like the leader being scared as well. But the whole thing where they need to put up a straight face and everything and make it sound like they're like invincible and everything for the morale of the team, but you know it normalizes them, it humanizes them almost. Yeah, it, and I think Jack does need that humanizing. Because again, the moment he steps into Torchwood, he's just, I am stoic, I am the knight, I'm going to stand on rooftops like I'm Batman. And it works. I mean, that's why it's good to see the team without him, because he does take on that role. So it's good to see them just 
floundering about, not knowing what to do without him there. Well, it's an interesting development, but generally in Jack and Torchwood's written, there's a hierarchy. Right at the top, it's Jack and Doctor Who. Below that is Jack and Torchwood. Below that, Jack and Revolution of the Daleks. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> I, I, I had five minutes on that already, haven't I? So let's keep yeah. it moving. Uh, what do we think about um, the manager in this episode then? He's sort of the villain in a way, but not really. Billis. Yes. The sort of the guy who looks like a Tafali. He just yeah. looks like a human mole. But they hadn't quite got to that pit in Doctor Who. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's there and he's creepy. He's doing what he needs to do, setting up the mystery. The problem is the mystery setting up is the finale. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I not... spent a lot of my time just figuring out all the maths in this episode. <laughs> there was a lot of maths. The end's going to sign something A, or I don't even know. I never oh, ever heard yeah. so much maths just read aloud in an episode. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, one of my friends has watched Torchwood and he's commented a lot of the time on the uh, the science that they write down and it's just it, it's very similar to um, the inversion of a Mobius strip and trying mm-hmm. to find the argument values of it. It's just it's gobbledygook but like most people just won't notice it. Yeah that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think it's a very odd I, I, it kind of works, but it's very odd that they sort of set this up the episode before the finale. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just coming from uh, Doctor Who where they sort of set things up reasonably early and then um, the finale sort of brings uh, a whole lot of things together, but this just sort of feels like... It's it a two-part like... finale. That's what it's yeah, trying it to be. But part two is... God, it's just... I don't remember. Anyway, let's day. let's do gi- a giant CGI monster with a budget lower than Doctor Who. <laughs> also, yeah. try and make. Also, we're going to make you care about Gwen. Also, we're going to have the torture team that ha- usually has about three brain cells. They're going to lose four of them. That's basically the finale. Sounds good. That's an, in- that's an insult to brain cells. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have four brain cells. Unfortunately, Susie had them all. I kept killing her and there it is (laughs) on uh, okay so moving on then so the next episode we saw was from Sarah Jane Adventures it is a two part episode The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith and in this episode um, Sarah Jane's sneaking off to meet this mystery man who uh, she then reveals like to be in love with and to be getting married to and during the very fast wedding, uh, she realizes this guy is actually dead from falling down the stairs and he is being controlled by the trickster. And the person who helps her realize this is, spoilers, the doctor. I mean, I'm gonna go straight out and say it straight away that I absolutely love this episode. It's one of my favorite episodes of Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Great. Partly because, especially when I was younger, like the fact that the doctor cameos in this episode is just, Amazing to me. I was like, whoa. Crossover where the doctor's here. Yeah, it was the first time you're getting... I mean, you've had Sarah Jane and that team, Mm -hmm. well, to a point, appear in Doctor Who, to do it in reverse. Yeah, no, it was good. I I think the stakes were high because Sarah's really, like, emotionally invested here. So, like, she's not thinking clearly. So it really helps, like, to have the doctor there. 
And also, I feel like even though the doctor's there, he doesn't steal up too many of the companions' like time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's quite yeah. the same I, I think it does well what class doesn't do so well, and the it the, the companions are still like functioning and, and capable <laughs> human beings, and they don't really. The doctor's just sort of there to help move the plot. Uh, he's not really there to sort of. He is trying to actively participate, but he's more passive as a role. I mean, he says like for the in the conclusion, he says like to Sarah, he says like you you know how the tricks works. You guys know what to do. You guys have done this loads of times. It's your decision. Like it's all on her, not on the doctor. Like just sort of saving it's, the day. I said yeah. that's my that's the inherent problem of the trickster, and why I know they were planning to bring him back in series five, and they're going to do it in a slightly different way. But I think three stories is the maximum number you can tell of the trickster doing the same plot. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, they were quite different, all three, I'd say. Not um, at a core level, because everyone involves the affected party making a decision to sacrifice themselves. I mean, the third one was the one that I didn't really care for, to be honest. I liked the one with her parents. I thought that was well done, because yeah. it's less obvious it's the trickster. Um, like he doesn't just come in and then she has a massive debate. It's like quite late on. The angel. I mean, it's trickster and white, yes or no? <laughs> well, I think you could have it's possibly played it up the, the actual angel bit and then gone at the end. Oh, it's actually the trickster. Well, the fact mm-hmm. it's like the trickster appears. It's the angel. And the audience there's isn't. Not, there's no mystery well, like, there. It's like no. no, it's the trickster. We're not colorblind. That's not. Gonna and I think also. Off. Like the doctor, the companions, and Sarah Jane all see the trickster. They look directly at the trickster. So it's not like any mystery of what's going on. I think it would be better if, like, um, Peter talked about the angel a bit more, like, preceding that. Mm, or, yeah. Or in, like, sort of a very vague sense of as if he was talking about religion. You go, oh, it's just yeah. religion, talking about God. But it's, no, it's the angel. I think you could foreshadow that better. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I will I say, think... though, like, Peter's a really relatable person, like falling down oh, the yeah. stairs. How tragic. <laughs> 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 okay, in the last few weeks, I've fallen up the stairs. Does that count for anything? Oh, same. <laughs> Reverse Peter. I mean, in the last few hours, everybody's fallen up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, no, um, like, go on. So, uh, like, um, Nigel Havers, Havers, that's his, his Havers, name. Really. He plays, yeah, he plays Peter. He's like... I think he plays them really well. Like, if they hadn't gone with the whole trickster route, I think it would have been nice for like uh, Sarah Jane to continue that relationship. I, mm. I I could see that like continuing on into further series, and it would have been. I think it would have changed the dynamic quite nicely. Yeah, I, I think... mean, he was portrayed as like the perfect man, like how he was with Luke and everything. With his fancy yeah. car and the way, and like he was really nice and everything. I mean, the highlight for me of this episode is definitely the first episode. I think the first episode's better because you don't know where it's going, like with the alien plot. And it, you're kind it's of building waiting, the intrigue, yeah. You're kind of waiting for Sarah to like tell him and confess to him what's going on, but obviously that doesn't sort of happen in a way. It doesn't happen much later until after he's revealed the trickster. But like all the chaos with the Travelast Pulong and K9 being a disaster. And uh, like Peter just casually reacting to it all is truly great to me. Yeah, uh, it's not the first time that he's appeared in Doctor Who. Actually, he um, 
he's appeared in Big Finish uh, playing Charles Zimmerman in No More Lies, which is hey. it's a decent audio. Um, I like this. And his wife in that is uh, is uh, Julie McKenzie, who goes on to play one of my favourite um, <laughs> um, people in the uh, <laughs> in the audios. Keep it together. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so um, she plays uh, someone called the Twelve, uh, who's part of a, a Time Lord consciousness called the Collective, and they're essentially a psychopathic person who's uh, it's essentially a, a dissociated um, personality disorder, but as a Time Lord, and I think they do uh, they do that really well as a character. Anyway, that's my uh, ramble over. For the record, I do love how. Oh, and I were clearly just googling the same TARDIS wiki pages as in tandem. <laughs> it's like, I mean, as, as you talk to Peter Dalton, I was just typing Nigel Havers into TARDIS wiki. Um, I think another thing about this episode that I just want to touch upon in the first half, like, I feel like the companions are really not suspicious. Like, Clive obviously is trying his best to like realize that this isn't normal, but the person who actually like calls it out for me is probably Gita like at the start of the um the wedding when she's just complaining about all the wedding things that are happening and her honeymoon like honestly it's great content I mean Brussels is great what are you saying <laughs> that's a Gita Chandra moment <laughs> oh god but I also like the fact that all the guests are removed from like the second half of the story because it really helps each mm. of the companions get their own like time i guess it just it just be subject you can't um you can't do the usual all oh, let's hide the parents thing if everyone's caught it's just it's complete dead weight especially since they're all extras i think because um the doctors like with the companions it makes it more justified in like separating them from sarah jane like and um, all of everyone else being gone especially because canines under the table which I said this last night. How is it that there are two episodes in this series in which Clyde hides canine under a table? So it's the best <laughs> series of Sarah Jane Adventures, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just love canine interacting with the 10th Doctor. Like in scoring as well. It's like, he recognizes me. It's like them kind of like throwback to how. You got the picture of Tenant's voice perfect there. <laughs> I think I like. Um, K9 like not actually being involved in the solution of the plot. He's sort of just existing in this episode. Yeah. Like he's not there to be some kind of like hero. Rounding about Archon energy. Yeah, he literally tries to yeah, and I like him and Mr. Smith at the start as well, like the back and forth screen. You forget this is basically right at the start of that dynamic because it only came back in the last episode. Mm. So oh, they're still yeah. getting to play around with uh, just completely hating each other, which is fun. I did find Rani a bit annoying in the second episode, though. Like, she's too bright. I mean, not that, but that is true. But I'd say more like she's just questioning like everything a lot. She's that person who's like trying to be annoying. She, I guess. I was going to say also, she wants to be a journalist. That's in character. Yeah. I, I know. But still. But still. Was it, yeah, it's not like, like asking the doctor. Like the doctor's what? just like, hang on a moment. My TARDIS is gone. What do I do? Yeah. And me, but then me and Brownie's like, you're the doctor. You should know. We've heard all these stories. Mm -hmm. You've been away for 10 months. Why 
But the best part is that Luke's, who knows, like, the Doctor wants, he's, like, letting the Doctor get on with it and, like, giving him space to think and blah, blah, blah. But it it gives some different dynamics, though. I I think that... Mm -hmm. Because, obviously, Luke and Ronnie aren't the same character. I think it it really serves sort of their um, their characters Oh, I wish Maria was there. We meant to have the Brigadier. Brigadier was yeah. meant to be in this, but Nick why wasn't Chrissy Jackson at the wedding? Yeah, why weren't Maria Al and Chrissy on the wedding? Oh, I wish Chrissy Jackson was at the wedding. <laughs> he could have like <laughs> smacked that. a heel on the Trix's head. <laughs> Imagine like, somehow the interaction between Chrissy and Sarah Jane. <laughs> I think we should move it on there and leave that to everyone's imaginations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the uh, the third episode we saw this week was uh, Night Visiting. Um, which is a class episode. Uh, and what happens is um, Tanya is in her house, minding her own business, when the ghost of her dead father appears and tries to convince her that he's her real father, basically. Uh, but they realise that, the whole team realises that this is actually an alien who's uh, morphing into their loved ones. Uh, and it's like entering everyone's brain, basically. And tricking them. Doing their souls. Yes, I'll do. As per. As per, yeah. Okay, this, this is the one where you've got to rein me in because I love class. I really, I am a self proclaimed defender. I have a question. Oh, Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that actually your whole question? Yes. <laughs> because it's. Because it's wonderful and it's written by Patrick Ness, who I've met twice and he's the loveliest man in the world and the only person of a fourth element having a crush on. <gasps> but it's, it's just, it's just clever. I like it. That's all. There's no, I could do a full thesis on it, but it's just fun. It's fun. Well, I can't remember what the description was. It's like something like, Dark, funny, witty, sexy. I think that was the tagline. It's dark, sexy, and right now. Mm. I swear there was a I full word one. One of the things about this episode is it's very unrealistic because I find the whole tentacles in the street thing really stupid. Very just weird, weirdly sped up. But other than that, I, I definitely preferred sort of the scenes where they're interacting with the characters. Mm. Mm. I think though, like when the like your loved one has a giant like tentacle out of their back, like why are you listening? This is my question. Like, I'm really confused. <laughs> no matter how convincing they are, like, come on. Well, because... yeah. Um, you go. <laughs> but I think they do explain to the loved ones the premise of the tentacle. <laughs> Really? Robert Holmes in 1974. Yeah. But so they're saying, yeah, we love one. And we're also like they're not hiding everything. They are going, yes, we're the reincarnates of your loved ones. Yes, we're part of an alien being. Like that's that on the surface level. Also, and we're gonna feed on your souls. That bit's hidden, sure. But the general premise isn't. And also I think. Most people are uneasy. Quill doesn't buy it. Tanya doesn't buy it. 
granted people do but they're extras and i really like that one line that um quill gives like after when she says um if you're gonna pretend to be my sister don't pretend to be nice like don't make her nice yeah i was like yeah i do i love scenes like that where it's like you figure out the person's lying or they're wrong just not from oh you said this when actually this i checked your file you were a champion sprinter they do it in a an emotional level. I um, yeah, I I think I write that all the time. In terms so. of that, it would have been more interesting to see um, Quill's sister beforehand, just to even if it was like in the flashback in the first episode, just to uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just yeah. to sort of then give this a bit more like emphasis. Like they they gave Tanya's dad like a little section at the start. Um, before he dies, the funeral, yeah, and uh, he's in. So, he's mentioned in episode two as well. They do a lot. Of, they yeah. do it with the other characters. Like April talks about her dad in this one, and then he comes back in episode four. So they're they're quite good at setting little points up and then going and then building on them. Cool. They do kind of drop the ball, but at the same time, that would have to be crammed into the origin story of her entire species. I don't know. So I it's a little you... bit flimsy. A lot of the companions, all of the team, like sort of in this episode, aren't really active in the plot. Let's be honest, till the last bit. Um, Stop just okay. chatting and then cool hits with the boss. What's of it? Yeah, Charlie and Mateusz aren't active. They're they aren't active in the plot. They're active in a different sense. <laughs> I mean, yes. Right, it took me that long to be honest. <laughs> but also, I feel like the whole plot would have been solved a lot easier, like earlier, if they just got a grip. Like, it's difficult to say it though. Oh, in other words, get a grip floating through your head in an inappropriate manner right now, or is it just mine? Just you. Um, Okay. (laughs) It's it's difficult to get a grip mentally when you're confronted with the face of your dead relatives. I mean, Quill knew from the start, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Well, Quill knew from the start, she just couldn't do anything about it. Ram knew from the start because when his dead girlfriend appears, he legs it. Yeah, we're gonna have a chat in the bus Yeah, and Tanya's the only one who's like not quite sure. It's see, I thought I think, Tanya was really mad with her father, so I was like, why is she even trying to talk to him? Like she was. It's I, I think the key there is that compared to like Quill and Ram, who's like the deaths of their loved ones, I think, is relatively recent compared to Tanya. She's had several years um, between the death death of her father and the the Lankan. I think it's two years exactly. Yeah, that's that's kind of why it arrived on that day. It fixes so, on her because, given that she probably does miss him, I mean, she is angry with him for leaving her so suddenly. But like, if you it. Given that time, like you probably would be missing them as well. And mm. if you suddenly saw them alive, even if they were attached to a giant tentacle, I reckon I would at least want to chat. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a personality thing as well. Like Quill hates everyone, so she's not going to be drawn in. Ram has gone through so much trauma in the first two episodes that by episode three, he sees something vaguely suspicious and immediately is going to note the hell out of that. She's younger as well. I think that probably plays a part. She's a bit more, I don't want to say gullible, but because she's she's cynical from the start. Mm-hmm. Naive. Okay. 
I think she's at least willing to listen Mistake. in a way that the others wouldn't. Although she does like defeat uh, the Lankan on her own in the end, like with her anger in the end, because even though she takes it on, like. And a bus. I'm, I mean, there's also a bus. Yeah. The bus Which is possibly my favourite scene with Quillin. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's. Resourceful. Where'd she get a bus from? It's, it's very much the tractor scene from Countryside. Like, I mean, I was thinking get... about the fire engine in Leopard Hour, but sure. <laughs> I mean, that's still, yeah, stuff like that. I think it's not particularly difficult to get your hands on heavy machinery. I don't know, the bus scene in uh, The that. Mummy is still better to me, but sure. Like, right. Quill is a badass and, like, it's expanded on even more as well in um, in, in the class audios. I'm, g- I'm going to back you up on this for once. Yeah. Go on. I've, I've list- I've li- no, I've listened to all the class. There's um, the very last one they did, Queen of Rhodia. My God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's, it, uh... It's so good. I mean, they give every character. Like, Mateusz doesn't get as much in the main series. In the big finish, he gets he gets that chance to expand on his personality. Although I think if I said his main personality trait in the audios, we'd get taken off air. So I'm not going yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- th- Let's just say, should we say stuff. it's hinted at in this episode? Um, some of it. Uh, there's certainly some extra uh, stuff that's hinted at. <laughs> okay, so do you want to move on to your thanks a lot, Odie? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you want to move on to some questions then? Uh, so the questions are about class questions. Um, do we know who the questions are from? I don't think we do. I think the first one is from Wine, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, would you like me to ask you a question? <laughs> uh, what Doctor Who character would your Lankin form take? What do we think? Uh, I mean, God. definitely Linda with a Y. Oh, shit. It's oh, so oh. nice. You know, so you, sorry, you said Linda, and I did voluntary reaction to want to punch you in the face. <laughs> now, Linda, Linda with a Y. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I don't best part know. of best part of um, parting ways. Uh, if we're assuming that they're dead, mm, I mean, one. I don't want to be really dark, but I feel I, like maybe Vincent Van Gogh. I don't. Ooh. Does that constitute a Doctor Who character in the same way? I know he's in Doctor Who, but... I mean... See, normally, normally characters die in New Who. Apart from, like, yeah. Amy and Rory and... Um, what about Adric, then? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I would say... No, we're good, thanks. I don't to say, but, like, I, I know some people in who listen to these audios are going through... Um, going through some of the audios... So I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, a character in one of the Eighth Doctor adventures, um, yes, them, Ooh. would be a my lacking form. Don't mm-hmm. actually know. And when you get to to the death, you'll understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have another question as well. Uh, how effective were the different kinds of relationships used uh, in this episode? This was from Joseph B. Joseph. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, different relationship. You had Quill with his sister, Ram with his girlfriend, and Tanya with the father. 
have, have, have this girlfriend just and Charlie McCaish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was very effective. Yeah. I think it's more on the character who they're appearing to rather than what kind of relationship the character is, I'd say. Like we already discussed before about like why Tony is more like susceptible yeah, and is it really to do with what relation you are? Yeah, really? but, I, but in the same sense, I think sister and girlfriend in some sense is more like an even playing field, whether whether as a father's like position responsibility. So Tony mm. definitely definitely felt um, Tony definitely feels like he let her down by leaving, which I don't think the others have the same kind of same issue yeah they at um, least have different dynamics between all three yeah. you have the yeah you say the figure of authority or responsibility you've got the more antagonism of a sibling rivalry and then the oh boy i wish you weren't here but my girlfriend <laughs> i i think that that sort of relationship whilst not explicitly shown through the lankin um like with charlie and his parents it's sort of briefly mentioned and the uh the sort of responsibility that they thrusted on him, but they didn't really sort of have, they didn't give him sort of the attention that he needed as a child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, um, it, it's an interesting, it, I don't think it's as interesting as the Lankin stuff because it's many one-sided, but like, it, it certainly expands on his character more. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fascinating that Charlie is so detached from his parents that Lankin couldn't actually appear in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't the best girl... time for his parents so, they to appear in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I was going to do on the quote, note, but I can't do um, the accents. On that note, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Uh, so next week, uh, following Valentine's, we're going to be watching uh, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday and Cyberwoman. Yes, because after Valentine's, what do you need? Heartbreak. <laughs> I don't know if Cyberwoman counts as heartbreak, but sure. It, it broke something. What I think it's my spirit. How, how do you get over breakups, Tom? I was going to hang out with you, Terry <laughs> Nah, barbecue sauce is the way. Oh, no. Okay, I don't want that note. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much everyone for listening uh, bye and uh, see you next week bye Purple Radio Podcasts thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast for more great content and to listen live head to purpleradio.co.uk